second reading tonight is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, starting at verse 13, through to chapter 4, verse 11. And that's found on page 1115 of the Church Bible. And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honour the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. In that state, he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behaviour, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and lawless idolatry. So they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, Use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Great if you can keep that part of God's word open. Um, has anyone been finding Micah pretty heavy? One Peter, hard going, 
Not too many giggles along the way, are there, in 1 Peter? It's a pretty heavy book. Uh, Just a a quick reminder of where we've come from a little bit, if you'd look with me. Chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, 21. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? Chapter 3, verse 9. We're told to not pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, give a blessing. That's unnatural, isn't it? When you're cursed, God bless you. It's very, it's hard work. It's not natural. Don't do it like that. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve. To be ready to suffer in the flesh. This is not happy stuff, is it? It's very, it's heavy going. And then verse 12 of that chapter, last one, chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. You ever heard anyone say that uh, Christianity is a crutch? It's kind of a a crutch for the weak-minded to help them through life. I read a quote this week, said this, faith, it's all cozy and warm for them and means they don't have to start asking hard questions about life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Can you imagine Peter saying that? It's all cozy and warm. Welcome, cuddles. There are crutches in our faith. Um, Peter began his whole letter with his words of encouragement and comfort that we have a hope that can never be taken from us. Great crutch, if you will. But it's not a crutch to get on with this life, the life that we want to live. Actually, Peter wants to tell us a whole new life. He wants to give us a whole new life story. What we just read about this this story that Peter is giving us in those few verses doesn't fit in with our idea of a good life, does it? Well, Peter is telling us that when you become a Christian, you toss out your old version of life, your old story about what life's about and where it's heading and what is good and all the rest, and you take on a new story, a new life story. That's the story he's telling us. It's not actually a new story, though. Um, It's the old Bible story. It's the story that um, Isaiah lived and King David lived and And Noah lived. It's a story that goes a little bit like this. They set up God as their Lord. No other. And then they commit themselves to doing good and speaking for God, come what may. And what often comes is suffering. That's the story of a lot of the Bible heroes. And actually, that's become our story. God is Lord, I'm going to do good and and speak for him, come what may. What often comes is suffering. That's become our story, but with a little bit of a twist, actually. Because in Jesus, that story goes much deeper and gets filled with hope. We'll get to that in a moment. I just, I want to remind us that this is our story. That's what Peter wants to do here. I want to remind us as well, because we often forget this. We often think that you know, our story, that the life I want to live is just the same as everyone else. We just take the story on that the rest of the world is telling. 
And we kind of expect that the Christian story is kind of a bit happy, happy, joy, joy. What Peter is telling us is something much more different, much bigger, much better, but perhaps not so comfortable. So I want to remind us what our story is. So let's get into it. We're going to begin by looking at King David's story. You might remember David was a king. He was anointed to be the king. But before he actually took the throne, King Saul hounded him, chased him, wanted to kill him, pursued him. He actually got several opportunities to to get revenge on King Saul. A few times he was standing there. Saul's asleep. He's got a spear in his hand. And his mate Abishai is saying, come on, right there, do it, do it. And King David said, no. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. Instead, he wrote these words, chapter three, verse ten. David, in that in that time, wrote these words in a psalm, Psalm thirty-four. It's there in chapter three, verse ten. For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do what is good, even when he's experiencing evil from others. He must seek peace and pursue it in the midst of hostilities against him. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their request. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Friends, I hope you realize that this is the Bible story. Setting God as his Lord, wanting fellowship with God, and so just committing himself to doing good. Come what may, even in the face of this evil. Some of you might be thinking, that's life. I know what he's talking about. I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to do right by the people around me. But my colleagues at work, my family, my friends, they're just making life really hard on me. That's how the story goes. Let's hear from the second point. Let's hear from Isaiah, Isaiah's story. Isaiah was called to a really hard job. He had to speak to God's people, Israel, and he had to say words like this. Israel, from the sole of your foot, even to your head, no spot is uninjured spiritually. Wounds, welts and festering sores, not cleansed, bandaged or soothed with oil. They're they're in a really bad state, right? This is Isaiah's news that he has to declare to them. Because you, you need to turn back to God, you need to repent, or else you'll be destroyed. And the people he's speaking to loved to hear this news, do you think? No, no. Apparently Isaiah ended up being sawn in two. That was how they loved to hear it. No. And so in the face of this hostility, God said these words to Isaiah in chapter 8 of Isaiah. He said, Isaiah, do not fear what they fear, or be disturbed. You are to regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. Only he should be feared, not all the people. Only he should be held in awe. Isaiah, set the Lord God as Lord in your heart and then keep opening your mouth. This is kind of how the story goes in the Bible, friends. And this is our story, isn't it? We've got, we've got a word to speak, words of hope, good news. But people don't really want to hear it, often. 
And so Peter says in chapter 3, verse 14, same thing God said to Isaiah, do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart as Lord, fearing no other, no other Lord, no one else to fear. And then we're called to speak. He says in verse 15 there, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to speak about your hope. You ready? You ready now? Always be ready. Are you ready? It, it's, it's not meant to be complicated. No. Always be ready to give an explanation for predestination and the Trinity. No, he's not saying that. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's just, my hope is Jesus who died for me, is alive and is the king. Always be ready with Christ set apart as Lord in your heart to speak for him. And Peter goes on, do that with gentleness and respect. I was recently evangelized in the opposite way uh, by someone from another religion um, who used fear and persuasion, and sorry, fear and power and uh, abuse, basically, to try to get me to convert. convert. If Jesus is Lord... We don't have to do that, do we? Like, just chill out, you know? We don't even have to have all the answers because if we don't have the answers, it doesn't mean Jesus stops being Lord. Jesus is Lord, so just speak with gentleness and respect. And the third thing Peter says is keeping a clear conscience so that those who might want to malign your good behavior have, have nothing bad to say. They could be ashamed. You know, the thing that really kills evangelism is bad conduct, yeah? When your actions and your words don't match up. But that's not the reason that we should have good conduct. We have good conduct because Jesus is Lord of our lives. He is our Lord. Well, I hope, friends, you realize that this is your story. We set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. We do good. We speak for him come what may. And what often comes is, is suffering, actually. So in verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Why? Why is this the pattern we follow as Christians? Well, he says there in the next verse, this is where we actually get on to, to Jesus' story. Jesus' story, verse 18. This is where the story gets deeper and gets filled with hope. Look at verse 18 with me. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God, after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. You see, Jesus was put to death in the fleshly realm, the kind of people the world, um, they didn't like him. They didn't want to have Jesus. A bit like Isaiah, a bit like King David, they didn't, didn't want him. So they put him to death in the fleshly realm. But God, by the Spirit, in the spiritual realm, actually raised Jesus to new life. People rejected him. God raised him to life. Uh, friends, I wonder if you remember um, being in high school and learning a bit about Shakespeare. 
Most of us did Shakespeare or not. Yes, no, bit of Shakespeare. I remember um, learning Shakespeare. We were doing Hamlet, and I was told Hamlet wasn't, um, wasn't a comedy. It was a tragedy. And I thought, you don't have to tell me that twice. It's ruined Shakespeare for me, year 12 English. Anyway, I was told that the tragedy is the one that ends badly and a comedy ends well. I'm sure that's like really rough, but that, well, that's all I remember, right? And none of them seem like comedy to me, except in Midsummer Night's Dream when there's a guy called Bottom. When I was in year 12, that was funny. Anyway, I thought that was it. Friends, as the Bible story moves along, King David, Isaiah, they're, they're living for God, but they're suffering. It seems like it's, it's going to end in a tragedy. The Bible story seems like it's heading in the direction of tragedy. The good ending never seems to arrive. But then in Jesus, then in Jesus, the final chapter is written. And we realize that the twist arrives. It's actually a comedy. You see, for Isaiah and David, they might have thought that they, you know, they're just going to be rejected in the, in the fleshly realm, and that's it. But no. Through Jesus, in the spiritual realm, they're going to be brought to life. And so chapter 4, verse 6, that, that's what it's saying. Sounds a bit weird, but that's what it's saying, I think. For this reason, because God is the judge of the living and the dead, for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, King David, Isaiah, and the rest, so that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. And friends, this can be your story too. You might find yourself being judged in the fleshly realm. You might find people slandering you for being a Christian. You might be made to feel a fool for what you believe. You might be like one of the people in other parts of this world where as a Christian you suffer physically. You're kicked out of your town and all the rest. We might suffer in this world, the fleshly realm. But it doesn't end as a tragedy. Your life will not end as a tragedy. I hope you believe that. I think many of us think, oh, following Jesus, yeah, I'm convicted as the truth, but that's kind of it. Great, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be pretty bad. It doesn't end as a tragedy because Jesus' life doesn't end as a tragedy. Where's it end? Where does it end? Verse 22, look with me. This is where it ends. Verse 22, chapter 3. Now that Jesus has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers, all subject to him. That's where it ends. And we are caught up in that story. It's not a tragedy. And so look again at verse 18 with me. We only looked at half of it before. See, our, our story is part of his story. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. I was talking to Andy Pierce, one of the other ministers this week. He said, this is the verse, this little bit, was the verse that turned his world upside down. He realized that he was the unrighteous. Before God, he, he, he wasn't in a right standing. He wasn't in a, in a good relationship with God. He just brought sin to the table and kind of he was at a distance from God. 
But into the breach stepped Jesus, the righteous one, pure and perfect and spotless, and took Andy's sin upon his shoulders and your sin and my sin, that he might take away our sin to hell and bring us to God. That we would know God's love and smile and acceptance, that we'd be righteous before God. What a joy. I hope you know that. That is the core of our story. We've been brought to God. Well, friends, Peter says we know, we see much of this story. Actually, in Noah's story, the story gets told over and over and over again. Noah's story, would you look with me at verse 19? In that state, by the Spirit, Jesus also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. Is that a bit weird? It's a bit weird. Um, I think the way I'm understanding is like this. We heard in chapter 1 that Christ, the Spirit of Christ, speaks through prophets. Noah's a prophet. He's He's a preacher of righteousness. Christ is The Spirit of Christ is working through Noah. You can imagine Noah, he's kind of building this ark. It it didn't take a day to to, to make it. It took a little while. And people would walk up and say, Noah, dude, there's no water around. What are you doing? Building a boat. He would say, well, preach righteousness, right? God has said that all of us are only thinking evil thoughts all the time. And he's actually going to judge that. You can imagine a bit bit like Isaiah. You think the people are going to take that well? Probably not. No, no, the the, the legends are that no, they did not take that well at all. But that wasn't the end for for Noah. It didn't just end with, you know, people being rude to him or something like that. It ended in rescue, salvation, didn't it? As he came out of that ark into this new world, it ends in salvation. And that's where Peter says... Our story really fits in. So final point, our story. Our story is kind of like Noah's. So see verse 21. Verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to the whole Noah's Ark thing, now saves you. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, like having a bath, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what's going on. Noah is in this world which is really broken and kind of evil. And he gets on this ark and he gets carried to a whole new world. A fresh start after the floodwaters have receded. Jesus is our ark. That's the connection. He he took our sin and our brokenness upon his shoulders Um, We know that our world is in a very bad state, right? It's not very happy. Jesus took this whole broken world upon his shoulders, down to death, down to hell. And then he brings us this new life through his resurrection. Life before God. Life in him. Baptism is saying, God, I want to be part of that. I want to get on the ark. I want to move from this death life. I've had enough of living for sin and living the way that this world is. I want Jesus to take my sin and bring me to new life with God. 
Are you baptized? Friends, I wonder if you're baptized, even just metaphorically. This is your story, this movement. It's you. Therefore, we can't go on living like everyone else, like the rest of this world, which is, it's got a, you know, it's got, it's, it's got a time limit on it. It's not going to last forever. It's like Noah's world. We can't keep living like that. We can't keep living like, you know, Christianity is just an add-on to our lives. We can't keep on avoiding discomfort at all costs because, because this is now our story. So read with me from chapter 4, verse 1. Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, that is the rest of your life, not no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So they're surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. That last part in verse 4 is interesting. That the, the liter- Literally, if you look down the bottom then, uh, it says, literally, you don't run with them into the same pouring out. And that really describes Sydney so well. We just, we just kind of, if it feels good and I'm not going to get in trouble, do it. You know, just pour yourself out. Just, just do it. That's the way our world lives. But Peter says, we've lived enough time like that, brothers and sisters. That is done for us. We now live for the will of God. And so he says, verse 1, equip yourself with the attitude that Christ had, ready to suffer that sin might not have its hold. He says, literally, arm yourself, take up the weapon, arm yourself with the same attitude. Because, friends, we're in a battle. Chapter 2, verse 11 said that, Evil desires wage war against you. We're in a battle. Please don't hear Peter saying, okay, friends, it's time for boringness. No more fun. No, he's saying it's time for a battle. It's time to really live. It's time to be ready to actually suffer for something. Might mean slander, as verse 4 said. You wet blanket Christians judgmental Christians. Did you hear what he said? What is she driving? You might cop slander for following Jesus. Or it might just be the struggle that we have with the flesh that keeps saying, I want that. I want that experience. I want that food. I want to say those words. I want to let that anger go. And we fight with it. This temptation, just pour ourselves out, do whatever's natural. But there's a fight that we, we suffer, the fight. But that's our story. That's what we've been brought into, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you realize, when you signed up to being a Christian, did you realize this? That this is the story? It's not a crutch. It's the story of most of the Bible heroes. It's the story of Jesus. And it's become our story. 
I, so I keep repeating this because I think we find it so hard to remember it. We're so quick to think Jesus is a tack-on. And then I just get on with the same life that everyone else lives, the same story everyone else has. It's not true. We've got a new story. Or we do this weird double thing. We sort of expect Jesus will make us all happy, happy. And when he doesn't, we think, oh, it's a tragedy. Forgetting it's, it's hope. We have hope. We lose on both fronts. So I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of what our story really is. Jesus has rescued us out of this world. The righteous one has given himself for you and I, the unrighteous ones, and brought us to God, to new life. Now we have the opportunity to set Christ as our Lord, to seek him, speaking for him, doing good, come what may. Yeah, suffering might come, sure. But that's okay, because we're part of Jesus' story. How does his story end? In life, glory. Chapter 4, verse 11. To him belong glory and power forever and ever. And we have become part of his story. So I wonder if you're ready to live that story this week. And pray for us. Please pray with me. Father, we really want to thank you so much that you have not left this world as it is. And Lord, we see in this world so many troubles, so much brokenness. And Lord, we know that in our own hearts as well, that we don't think what we ought to think or do what we ought to do or even love what we ought to love. So thank you so much, Father, for forgiveness, for your righteous son, Jesus, who's rescued us out of this world and brought us to you to know your love, to know hope of a better future and to be able to live even now for Jesus, to really live. So Father, forgive us for the times that we we want to just live the same story that the rest of the world does. Make us ready to follow Jesus. Make us ready to speak for him of our great hope. Make us ready to do good. Come what may. Come what may knowing that our hope stands secure in him, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen.